Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the land of Newsbusters as we discuss fiascos and debacles and other things happening in the Biden administration and how somehow they're just never blamed on the president or his administration. Obviously, we've seen this rich noise has a study on inflation that we have. Brent Bozell appeared on Fox News last night to chat it up. Is that, you know, 84% of the stories on inflation have no mention of Biden. And then some of the ones, a bunch of them that mention Biden are like Biden, the inflation fighter. (laughs) So this is the kind of stuff that happens. But back to the debacles. Joining us, Newsbusters video editor Bill D'Agostino. Welcome. How's it going, Tim? Uh, Both Bill and Curtis on separate tracks until their trains aligned. We're both on this story of what is going on with the way the media has covered it. In this case, what you found was they covered it and then stopped covering it. It was kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not this isn't like a political bias story like we would usually do. We weren't really sure what the numbers would tell us when we took a look at the coverage. It, it, you know, we had to catalog everything and, and record how much they actually had covered this for the story to emerge. Um, oh, let me just explain. I guess we should start at the beginning. As sure. You, as you guys wrote on February three, East Palestine, Ohio, rocked by a train derailment carrying a host of toxic chemicals leading to a five-day-long evacuation order for nearly 5,000 Ohio and Pennsylvania residents. This obviously is near, or if you don't know, it's near Youngstown, so that's pretty close to Pennsylvania. Yeah, the crash was about right on the border, very close. Okay, so anybody who's traveled I-80 like I do on my way to Wisconsin, I know where it is. Three days later, the rail operator triggered a controlled burn of the toxic chemicals, to prevent an explosion, and then declared the operation a success. So let's listen to a a minute of what Bill has clipped here to show you just how the news media said, game over, all done, everything's good. Right. Toxic chemicals spilled during a train derailment, forcing officials to conduct a controlled burn that released a cloud of fumes into the air. Norfolk Southern says that control release was completed successfully. The company that owns these rail cars says that planned explosion tonight was successful. Railroad officials declaring that operation a success. There's still a lot of smells here. Propane, chlorine, sulfur. The state emergency management agency doesn't believe that there's any risk to the air or the water. Just out of an abundance of caution, our crew actually moved one town over to New Waterford. The EPA is monitoring air quality in the area and fortunately has reported no problems. Authorities say they haven't detected dangerous levels inside or outside the evacuation zone and water samples show the area is now safe. Although the water is discolored, local officials saying it's safe to drink. East Palestine's mayor says the town's air and water quality are safe. Air quality and the water supply which are being monitored remain safe. They say air quality and the water supply remains safe. But as we discovered, uh, as you write, the fallout was far from over. Widespread reports of chickens and fish dying, pets falling ill, residents complaining of health complications, and then suddenly the networks weren't there anymore. Yeah, I mean, really what happened was the evacuation order was lifted by Norfolk, well, not by Norfolk Southern, but by, by based on Norfolk Southern and the EPA saying, okay, the controlled burn was a success. And once the evacuation order was lifted, then 
the media were like, oh, okay, well, the the authorities that we trust on this subject are saying that it's it's case closed, so it's case closed. And nobody bothered to go interview, you know, the rubes in Red America, 93% white town. Right. Blech, why would we talk to those people? And so when all of their pets start dying and they start complaining of health complications, dizziness, sore throat, um, watering eyes, etc., it smells like sulfur outside, dead fish all over the Ohio River, suddenly all the news crews are gone and there's nobody to talk to about it. Um, specifically, we're talking about broadcast networks here. Uh, cable networks actually did stay on the story. Uh, even the socialists at NPR are talking about this <laughs> and remained talking about it. And I'd like to clarify, broadcast networks are now once again talking about it. Uh, Curtis and I have decided we're going to take a little bit of credit for that <laughs> because they didn't, they didn't discuss it on Monday night. Um, and we, we started this study actually after the lack of coverage then. Mm -hmm. And so it had been several days at that point since they'd cover it and really all of their talking about it had pittered out as as i said with the with the evacuation order being lifted um so there was no more interest but they're back to it now now that they've been shamed and they've looked around and said oh all of these other news organizations are still covering it maybe we shouldn't have listened to norfolk southern and the epa for all of our information both of whom have a vested interest in downplaying this. Well, this is Biden's EPA. We should state that. Uh, before the evacuation order was lifted, you noticed CBS led the pack with 9 minutes 53 seconds of airtime, ABC with 571 seconds, 9 minutes 31 seconds of airtime, NBC in third with 8 minutes 52 seconds. And what you noticed was once they let the residents, locals, return home, ABC stopped covering it entirely. NBC gave it just 38 additional seconds. CBS was the only network to offer more than a minute after February 8th. That was still 64 seconds. So it, it it is interesting. And I think what I said to you when you two were on this was, yes, this kind of confounds our usual Newsbusters categories of uh, the right wing says this, the left wing says this, the Republicans say this, the Democrats say that. Now, we gamed out the whole idea that you would think with the Republican governor of Ohio that maybe they would try to blame the Republican governor of Ohio if yeah. there was anything wrong. Right. So it's an environmental disaster slam dunk. You know, I mean, you got a Republican governor and in, in, an environmental catastrophe going on. Easy pickings for the media. So, But I think, again, the Biden EPA had declared it's all good. It's just, it, it is really interesting because to some of us, who are a little older, you know, people, some people are comparing it to Chernobyl or Three Mile Island. I think that's a little too much because nuclear just feels like a different category. But obviously it, it is. It's a uh, obviously at least to fish and to wildlife. This this is a, a, a catastrophic event. Um, you know, it, it reminds me more of how uh, using another old example, uh, they set the lake on fire near Cleveland right. back in the day. Um, I mean, I can I can go into a little bit of like what what the health ramifications of this are based on just some layman's chemistry that I've that I've been consuming. If if we got time for that, sure. Um, okay, so I mean these these train five train cars specifically were the problem here. They were carrying uh, vinyl chloride, which is pretty toxic. Uh, the OSHA regulations are that in an eight hour shift working with vinyl chloride, you can only be exposed to an average of one part per million on average over eight hours. So toxic stuff. Um, however, the, mon the polymer form of polyvinyl chloride is like found in everything. So when you see that as an ingredient or a building material for like your PVC pipes, don't freak out. It's, that's 
polyvinyl chloride. Um, but so they wanted to get rid of this stuff, and it, it boils at eight degrees Fahrenheit. So it's this stuff is not just leaking out; it's like blasting out and in boiling form. So you've got gas evaporating into the atmosphere. They're worried about it. So they the controlled burn was intended to get rid of the vinyl chloride. The issue is that one of the byproducts of burning vinyl chloride is after a couple of chemical reactions with the water vapor in the air, you end up with hydrochloric acid. <laughs> and so oh, I see, we remember that from chemistry class. That, right. That's some seriously uh, poisonous stuff. Right. And so you've got hydrochloric acid gas in the air. And that's that's the issue. Right. So it's it's declared a success because the polyvinyl chloride is gone. Okay, well, is there anything else present? Yes, there is hydrochloric acid gas that is now wafting into the atmosphere, getting into the Ohio River and killing a bunch of the fish. Uh, you have farms miles and miles away from the crash site where people are going outside and their chickens are dead. You know, so people are, nobody's, no human has died from this. Uh, people are complaining about health complications. We don't know what the long-term ramifications are. We're not saying that this is a nuclear wasteland or Chernobyl. What we're saying is there are clearly health concerns. And so for the media to, so or specifically the broadcast network, so slavishly rely on the testimony of the EPA and Norfolk Southern, again, the rail operator, both of whom have an interest in saying this is fine now, for them to rely solely on their input as to what's safe and what's not, is ridiculous. The media's job is to ask questions, and they just weren't doing that. Yeah, and so now they're sort of back on it. I know Curtis this morning, as we're talking, is talking about how the morning shows are on it. Right. Uh, uh, I guess one of the evening shows, CBS mentioned it briefly uh, on Tuesday night. But, I, I, you know, it, it also reminds you of how we used to have this fight a few years ago about the pipelines and they said well we we don't want pipelines oh okay let's transfer let's put the oil on train cars and <laughs> once again you're like well the train cars aren't perfect right uh so yeah i think this really is i what i like about you guys doing this story is it's it is a little bit outside the liberal conservative categorization it's really something like why did the news media sort of drop the ball here? It really is something you could discuss in a college jur journalism class. Right. Um, and it is something where you would certainly hope that you would be, you know, you would rely on your local Ohio newspapers or your AP guys in Ohio who know people, but you'd certainly be on the ground. And you'd certainly be talking to the locals if they're having, like, trouble with their eyes are, you know, burning or something. I mean, that's the sort of thing. I guess the other thing, though, was... Uh, there is a political element in that uh, tr Secretary of Transportation Buttigieg would be expected to be involved in this in some way. And we know that on Twitter, they made fun of him because Monday at the Center for American Progress, which is a Democrat Party hack tank, he spoke about the future of transportation but made no mention of this. He did talk about the lack of diversity among railway workers. Well, yeah, Pete, Pete Buttigieg was, you know, he was faced with a choice, either talk about the environmental disaster or talk about the need for there to be more black trains on the tracks, right? And <laughs> yeah. so there weren't enough black trains for Pete. I guess. That's a joke, by the way. He yeah. was, it, it was railway operators, not the train. Yeah, but, but it, it, it is, again, sort of fascinating if this is the political angle of this, although it's not the main point of your piece, which is, you know, Pete Buttigieg is an aspiring president. Maybe he's not going to be a successful aspiring president. But we can start to say, 
boy, in a lot of different crises, whether it's the formula, whether it's the, you know, uh, airline uh, problems over the holidays. Yep. And when when they bring Buttigieg in, this is the difference between Republican and Democrat administrations. Uh, I don't think he's done any network interviews on Ohio here. I don't believe so. But, you know, when, when he was brought in to discuss like Southwest Airlines, it's always gosh, how are you going to punish Southwest? I mean, you know, there's just never any assumption. I guess I want to say one of them actually tried to suggest he was responsible in some way, but it, that's unusual. And nobody heard or saw that person ever again. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is a little bit ridiculous. Obviously, this is what you're going to expect, like you said, from a Democratic administration. I will say, in the interest of fairness, um, there are a lot of people going around talking about how Republicans are generally in favor of deregulation, and I guess there was some safety regulation on um, on these trains that was repealed or whatever, and so it's not it's not been determined that had that regulation still been in place, the train decoupling wouldn't have happened and it wouldn't have derailed. However, that's certainly an interesting talking point, and hey, you know what? Uh, let's let's make lemonade, right? If you if you want to. Talk about this story to your liberal friend who trusts broadcast networks, right? Even make that political concession. Say, you know, Ohio has a Republican governor. Mm -hmm. uh, this was, you know, people, some people say that this was the result of deregulation by Republicans. So I'm not making this political. I just want to point out to you that this is the media not doing their job and being bad, even in cases that aren't about politics, right? So I'll even make this concession to you maybe a little bit excessively. If, if I can get that point across. You, you can't just not trust the media on political issues. They're actually just bad in general. There are very few real interested investigative journalists left, especially at these corporate companies. Well, what you have in a lot of cases, let's if we want to be really generic and talk about journalism, um, they used to have science journalists. You know, right. they, they used to have people who specialized in science or maybe who specialized in the environment. Uh, it seems to me that journalists who specialize in the environment now, like Bill Weir at CNN, they kind of specialize in climate panic. They're, they're not. They're cult, they're green cultists, not so much from a scientific background, from a from a stop exhaling so much, please kind of climate activist background. Yeah, I mean, Bill Weir is writing letters to his baby, apologizing for his generation ruining Earth. God, that's good journalism. So, I mean, I I, but I think that that's. It is one of those, this is one of those stories where you could use a specialist. And, and as you suggest, this is a story where politicians of both parties should be able to come around the idea of, yes, let's not have any ecological catastrophes. I think we can all agree that that's, that's something to be concerned about. Uh, so as you suggest, and, and I threw this at you guys, that the PBS NewsHour had a story um, and interviewed the locals did like what seven minutes on it i think yeah and so they were like Pretty you know good. one of the locals was like this is the water we bathe in it's what we drink it's what we cook with and they said they just couldn't reassure me the water was safe to drink it's discolored by the way too it's it's like it looks gross and so some people are comparing it to obama and flint michigan but again flint michigan was some, one of those things where you could go around and around and say the mayor was a democrat sometimes the governor was republican and you and the real right the real issue at hand is just yes i think we all care about whether our water is safe yeah that, that's an important thing so it is one of those things where we're encouraging the media to be less political 
and just be professional. And yes, stay on a story. And it's not to say that you think the government always lies. But you, you know, I don't like that amount of cynicism. But absolutely to say, everybody's telling us this is safe, but the locals don't think so. If all of the, yeah, if all of the authorities telling you something have a vested interest in saying that, even if it may not be totally true, that doesn't mean that it's not true. It means don't just take them at their word. Be a journalist about it, right? Dig further. Don't just say, oh, okay, these people who want us to believe that it is this way are saying that it's this way, therefore it absolutely must be. And so network television doesn't have a lot of specialists now. You know, one guy used to do the space program. One guy used to do science. You know, uh, your business correspondents were real, uh, you know, junkies who who had PhDs or master's degree in economics. And right. now, now you have Stephanie Rule. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe she has a degree, but she's she's peppy. They like her because she's peppy. Uh, and so you you have that problem is expertise isn't as important now. Um, looking pretty or looking good is more important. Um, and, yeah, you, you, it, there's also the problem is these are commercial television networks, and they're like, well, you know, it's more important. This eco-disaster isn't important. We really want to do this murder trial in South Carolina right. every night, every right. night, every night. That's my own personal, like, I know this is a fun little soap opera, but it, it bores me. I don't, you know, tell me when the trial is over. And I'd also speculate that this is kind of a, um, a logical conclusion of journalism as, as it goes on longer, or of these, these kind of corporate media outlets existing for too long, is, is you're going to, yeah, you're going to bring in some experts initially, right, who actually have background in these various topics. Let's say you have a guy who's, who's, who's a real environmental scientist, or, or at least knows a lot about that sort of stuff, and is plugged into environmental science channels, you know. Um, you bring him in to talk about rapid hurricane intensification and you want to do a segment on this is this is climate change. And he goes because he's, you know, a stickler and and actually cares about the data that he's reading. Go, he goes, well, you know, there's not actually conclusive evidence that that's the case. Well, why why are we bringing that guy on anymore? Why are we bringing on the, the sciencey guy? Why don't we bring on the guy who's just going to say automatically this is climate change? Right. And so the the more scientific-minded people slowly get naturally selected out of these newsrooms because they're not always necessarily towing the party line. Sometimes they're actually just following the data, and that's inconvenient. And Well, and I think part of it, too, is the nature of network news, and that is we can't have a soundbite longer than 12 seconds, therefore. Right. Uh, and yes, I would always encourage Newsbusters fans, um, when you see experts on TV, you know, uh, Look at who they're identified as. So, because a lot of times now, on a on a story, in an environmental story, you'll have a group like the Natural Resources Defense Council, the Sierra Club, the Environmental Working right. Group, uh, and uh, you know what you're getting there is a very politically plugged in group, Friends of the Earth. Right, and understand that this expert is not representing all experts in this field. They are representing he's representing himself, or maybe also the organization that he is from, and that's about it. Like they're. they're there is no sh limitation on the number of experts that these networks have available to them, right? And so the ones that they bring on, you have to understand, they have selected for a specific reason. We call this expert shopping. Yep. And so I could find you an expert who will tell you that Earth is going to end in 10 years. I could do that by 3 p.m. today. I could also find you an expert who thinks that global warming is the biggest hoax ever pulled on the environmental movement. Uh, which expert are we going to put on? Well, it depends what network I'm working for and what what I want the segment to be about. Yeah, I mean the ones who who would tell you that that 
that climate change is a hoax are going to be not only not going to be involved on the networks, they're going to get flagged as mostly false or false or pants on fire in the fact check. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I think this is just one of those issues where um, the environment's a real issue uh, and there are two sides. Sometimes there's two sides between how serious this is, right? It, it, so, yep. um, you know, I'm glad that we had something to say about it. I, I love the idea that we... Uh, that we prodded them into further action, that would be great. You know, we we never want to be cocky right. and say we caused a change. We certainly are never cocky and think, oh, we will correct liberal media bias by our reporting. Because <laughs> tomorrow it's going to happen again. Yep. But in every news cycle, it's important for us to get in and say, here's what they did to you. Here's how they're trying to, to trick you or fool you or, or suggest something's no big deal. Right. So... Also, you've had a busy week. Uh, somebody <laughs> said to you, hey, Bill, it's going to be Valentine's Day on Tuesday. My favorite holiday. Why don't we try to put together a clip package of uh, of Joe Biden, gushy Joe Biden coverage? Now, some people would try to suggest they get really mad at Chuck Todd when Chuck Todd said Biden doesn't really have a, a firm base of fan support. We would joke and say, well, he does well, in the media. It's you, Chuck. Yeah. Uh I think the accurate thing that Chuck is trying to say is that Biden doesn't inspire the cultish following that Obama did. Biden does not have a sycophantic base. There was one girl in one class that I was in in college who was very into Joe Biden, and all of us were very put off by that. <laughs> but um, that was about it. And this was still when he was still just doddering old grandpa vice president. So, you know, who knows how she feels about him now? Well, and so... You put something together and it starts with the 2020 convention and, and somebody could say, well, it's convention. You know, obviously they're going to be a little glossy at convention time. Well, no, not at Republican conventions. They're not. You know, they're going to say Biden's speech is great. How inspiring, how wonderful for him that he finally got nominated. The best speech of his life. Well, this is the best part, people. I just loved it. I got to pre-screen it. As often, Bill will say, hey, can you give this a look? And I was just laughing and clapping here. Uh, he's got a collection of how journalists talk about Biden's best speech ever. And it's like every few months. And you've got on screen, this is 2020. This is 2021. This is 2022. Yeah, it's uh, it's all stratified by month. So every, every clip that you're not going to be able to see the labels on screen, but every clip that you hear saying this is the best speech he's ever given, just know these are all after and referring to a different speech. And so it ends with, uh, listen to this, it ends with Wolf Blitzer just at the State of the Union last week. Give this a listen. Think of it, a man who's waited about 50 years to get nominated by his party to be president gets to do it tonight unexpectedly in his own hometown. Talk about a dream come true. He met this moment, I might say, uh, that this was his finest hour. The Axios one big thing is Biden's winning streak. President Biden has been racking up wins. Racking up win after win. Look at this huge accomplishment. Preventing World War III. Check. Gas prices plummeting. COVID, he survived it. I thought it was his best speech of his campaign. Joe Biden gave what I believe was the speech of his life. Basically the best speech of his life. It may have been the best speech Joe Biden's ever given. This may be the most 
important speech of the Biden presidency. I thought it was the strongest speech that Biden's ever given. His strongest speech yet. His best speech of his presidency, I would say. This was the best speech I have ever heard him deliver. I'm proud tonight we have a leader like him. I'm yeah. proud tonight. He's done an extremely good job in this situation. He's on a roll. You know, he's sort of in that modern pantheon now. It's all moving in Joe Biden's direction. He's got his aviators on. Bill Clinton used to say that a president's lucky to get a sentence. Uh, Lincoln saved the Union, FDR defeated the Depression, won World War II. Uh, Biden's well on his way to writing his sentence here. So, Bill, I think what this says is that when you when a journalist or a Democrat or we repeat ourselves, uh, says it's the best speech ever, it's like the best speech right now. But that's just the way of trying to convince you that you just saw something amazing. Right. It's if they if they're going to say, I loved that speech, I thought it was fantastic. That sounds a little bit like biased editorializing. But if they try to approach it, approach it from a kind of academic almost sounding a drama critic. Right. Where they say, you know, I thought this was the the most effective speech he's ever given. And if they just say that after every single speech, (laughs) then they get away with heaping absurd amounts of praise on this speech without technically saying anything explicitly biased. They're just saying, well, no, I, I could say that about a row. I could identify what my favorite speech by Mitch McConnell is, too. I could I could tell you what I think the best Paul Ryan speech was, or sorry, Ron Paul or whoever, you know? Yeah, but they just don't tend to say, boy, that Republican thing was the best speech ever. We're much more used to, why was Marco Rubio sipping on a, a bottle of water? And- Although, I will say, while going through clips, I entered best speech ever or best speech of his career, you know, various search terms to try to find all of these clips. Um, I did find a lot of instances of his best speech ever about Mitch McConnell when he uh, when he condemned Donald Trump. So, yeah. Was this right <laughs> after January 6th? It was right after January 6th. And that 6th. was a good speech. But it's yeah, it's it is very conditional. Now, the, the clips, as we just listened to, ends with John Meacham, uh, sometimes properly identified as a presidential speechwriter for Biden, sometimes not. So, and he comes on and he makes these grand pro- proclamations. Biden's a historic figure; he has earned his sentence. I just love that if you look at the video under these proclamations, it says Biden signs huge spending bill today, <laughs> which takes us back to oh, inflation. Yeah, uh, but you know, for all I know, this was the Inflation Reduction Act. But I mean, it's uh, who can remember? The uh, I want to close on this generic point, Bill, and that is that when Democrats pass a major bill, it is automatically considered an accomplishment. It's automatically considered. They use terms like historic. Right. They always suggest it's going to be good for the country because it's government doing things, and it, they they always like that. They like government spending money on things. Yeah, I mean, we try to get them to just say the word massive. Sometimes they do say the word massive, but they use it as a sure. thumbs Mass- up. Massive accomplishment. <laughs> massive win for Joe Biden. And and then by contrast, when the Republicans pass something that we would call historic, they, they, won't, they, they certainly won't use the word historic. That's what's interesting about the use of the adjective. Again, it becomes advertising lingo. Right. So if, if Trump passes a major tax cut, the tone and the tenor of coverage is going to be terrible. I mean, they're going to present it as America goes backwards. They're going to find the most bad faith possible explanation for doing this, the most cynical reasoning, and say as fact, well, this is the purpose of this legislation. 
So, you know, when I see John Meacham come on and he comes on a lot to proclaim that Biden has done something tremendous. I mean, it does go back to this whole notion of how they exploit, quote unquote, presidential historians to make hack Democratic Party points. They're often some of the hackiest guys on the panel. I mean, isn't isn't Beschloss technically a presidential He's historian? He's the official NBC News historian. I mean, dude sounds like a Biden surrogate. It's insane. Actually, I take that back. Biden surrogates are nowhere near as rosy about the president as Michael Beschloss. <laughs> well, this dude is is nauseating. Well, obviously, he was a contender for quote of the year last year by suggesting that the Republicans are elected, your children may be killed. That was a that was a that was special. But then. He gets really mad after the State of the Union. He gets mad that somebody was heckling Biden. How dare they? Yeah. And and he's not upset at all when Biden suggests the Republicans want to end Social Security and starve all the old people. Oh, how dare you object? Oh, <laughs> man, I've got I've got to mention this. Mike Barnacle made me so mad when Biden did that. And, and then the Republicans yelled back or Marjorie Taylor Greene yelled back at him and said, no, that's not like liar. No, we don't want to. Um, but, Mike Barnacle on Twitter goes, wow, Biden just rope-a-doped the Republicans into not sunsetting Social Security. When were they ever going to? <laughs> Mike, but, stop. You're lying. You are just lying to people. This, they have this fake narrative. It's insane. He was not alone. Yes. That was kind of a common Democrat Twitter trope during the speech or right after the speech, like, Wow, Biden just masterfully stopped the Republicans from ending Social Security. Right. Uh, this is a whole nother line. We could do a whole show on this, and we're we're gonna we're gonna try to close out here. But just the whole way that they've they've exploited Social Security since the very beginning. They've expanded it and expanded it and expanded it, and they've always tried to use it against the Republicans. They they would try to restrain it in any way. Uh, P.J. Gladnick has a piece on Newsbusters making the point that Joe Biden himself talked about freezing Social Security Medicare spending. This is a clip they don't want to show you right now. Bernie Sanders loved this clip in 2020, <laughs> but it's a nice, interesting uh, counterpoint to what Biden tried to stay at the State of the Union. So um, make sure you take a look at what Curtis Houck and Bill D'Agostino have been doing on this train derailment in Ohio and come to us for everything else we have to give you. So you come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody.